All right, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for coming out. My name is Troy Swanson. I'm the library department chair. This is um, the end of our series for the academic year on Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin. Um, we've covered a range of topics, um, covering all different kinds of, of time and topics and um, approaches that are drawing on themes from the book. Uh, many of our themes have re uh, revolved around the um, issues relating to the LGBTQ community, and today is going to be one of those um, topics. Um, so we're talking about domestic violence in uh, LGBT. So I want to thank um, Jennifer Nye for coming out from Pillars, their community um, outreach group, and she's going to describe a little bit more about what their organization does. Um, this is part of her efforts um, partnering with the college and um, we're very um, appreciative of her time and her expertise. If you haven't read Giovanni's Room, just as a plug, you can get it in the library. You can buy it um, at a really good price in the bookstore. It's an excellent, excellent novel, and it's been a good series of events this year, um, which you can find on the library YouTube channel. With that, I'll keep it short and turn it over to Jennifer. So here she is. Thank you so much. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for having me. So I am Jennifer. I'm um, from Pillars, and we are in a local organization, a community social service agency in the area. Um, I am a bachelor's in social work, um, and I also, the ICDVP after my name means Illinois Certified Domestic Violence Professional, um, which basically means that I put hours in, I took a test, and I got letters at the end of my name. So, <laughs> but I have been in the field for quite a while. I've been in, working in domestic violence in different ranges for about three years now. So I've seen different aspects of it, different things that have come up, um, different things that we, we've made changes on, things that, you know, all the whole realm. So today I'm here, <laughs> I'll start out talking a little bit about our organization, but I'm gonna talk about domestic violence and the LGBT community. Um, domestic violence is happening pretty much at the same rate in the LGBT community as it's happening in the straight community. So it's definitely a problem. Um, statistically, our numbers are one in four um, women will experience some sort of domestic violence within their lifetime and one in seven men. So that's quite a large number. Um, so, but there's a lot more challenges as you can imagine um, being part of the LGBT community, um, seeking services, things like that. And that's what we're kind of going to talk about today a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so pillars. So Pillars is, a, like I said, a, a social service agency. Our largest piece is we do community mental health. So <clears throat> we, um, it's, not, it's not all completely free. Um, we take insurances. Things work on a sliding scale, but it's community mental health. So that's one of our largest pieces that we work with at Pillars. Um, we have many offices. We have six or seven, I'm like losing count. Um, and we do mental health mostly out of our um, Western Springs, um, Berwyn offices, um, but we, um, Hickory Hills, I think has a few people that work out of there. And then we also partner with um, Community Nurse and LaGrange, um, and we work out of there also, we partner with them. Um, so that's kind of the mental health piece. We also have a, um, an intensive outpatient addictions program for adults and adolescents. Um, we also do a grieving, a grief group for children that have lost um, a family member. Um, 
<clears throat> and then we do um, a lot of different services for family, family services, children's services. So a lot of our, um, kind of like a lot of our clients will, will what we could like double dip. So they'll be in our mental health program, but we'll also service their entire family. Um, they have housing needs, job needs, things like that. So we have a couple programs that target that area. Um, and then we have the piece that I, uh, well, sexual assault we do too. So we have a, um, a sexual assault program, which is like counseling. We do advocacy, um, things like that. And uh, this is um, Sexual Assault Awareness Month, so you guys may have some activities on campus this month for that. Um, and it may actually be through Pillars. Um, and then my piece, which is the domestic violence. So um, our program is called Constance Morris, um, and we are a 24-hour hotline, so we always have somebody on our hotline. Um, we offer shelter services to women and their children. We do group counseling, individual counseling, case management. So each person gets um, case management with them, whether they're staying in shelter or they're not. Because when we talk about counseling, counseling comes on two levels. So what we call a resident client would be somebody who's like living in our shelter. They would receive services, counseling, group counseling, um, case management. But then we also have what we would consider like a non-resident client. So that would be somebody who identifies as a victim of domestic violence, but maybe they don't need a place to stay. Maybe they haven't left their abuser yet. They're not ready to take that step at this point. Um, or maybe it happened years ago and now they're experiencing some PTSD and they really feel like they need to look, look at what happened to them years ago. So that's kind of what a non-resident, what they would fall into. And then we also do, again, counseling. So it would be individual group counseling. Um, and then also case management. So if they had any other needs, we would work with them to meet those needs as well. We do legal advocacy, so we have a legal advocate at the courthouse in Bridgeview and in Maywood, and what they do is they help people get orders of protection. What an order of protection is, is the Illinois Domestic Violence Act has said that anybody who is a victim of domestic violence has a right to file for an order, to, order of protection. Um, it's an emergency order, it's for three weeks. When you go in, you go in, you work with one of our advocates, they help you fill out the paperwork, you stand in front of a judge, and then the judge will decide at that point if, it's, if they feel it's necessary for the emergency order. If the emergency order is granted, um, the victim and the person who's being, and the respondent, so that would be the person they're saying is their abuser, can show up in three weeks, and then they can fight it, and, they, and, and at that point, the judge will decide if they're going to extend it at that point. Um, or if they're going to drop it. So, um, and our legal advocates support the clients through that whole process. We'll stay with them, see them, things like that. And then also, if a client goes into the, um, sees our legal advocate, we're still offering services. So if they choose to, um, you know, come to counseling, things like that, absolutely, we will service them that way too. And then the last piece is me. So it's community outreach and education. So I am in the community as much as I can be talking about domestic violence, educating people, um, doing whatever I can, things like this, whatever. Um, education is, is key, not only for the clients, but for the communities and other and organizations in the area. If we don't understand domestic violence, if we don't know what it is, it's hard thing to help and it's hard thing to understand. So um, that's what I do. So that's kind of pillars in a really quick nutshell. Um, of course, when we're done, if you have any questions, even if it regards our services at Pillars, you can ask and I will answer to the best of my ability. So today we're talking about the LGBT community. Um, 
So for those of you that don't know, the LGBT stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. Um, I'm, I'm assuming most people know that, but just in case. Um, we're also going to talk about um, phobias and heterosexism. Um, homophobic, biphobia, transphobia, that's just having the fear, basically, of the unknown, not understanding, not knowing. Um, and see, we see things expressed in a different way, um, prejudice, things like that. Um, heterosexism is, is it's more of like a system of attitudes, bias, discriminations in favor of opposite sexuality and relationships. Um, it's saying that heterosexual or opposite sex attraction is the norm or it's superior. So that's kind of what that would reference to. Um, just phobias in general. <laughs> individual or societal fears of or and the con content for or hatred of the LGBT community. So that's kind of where that phobia comes in. Um, the reason I talk about this, a lot of you may know what all this is, but this is the stuff that we're, we're dealing with when we're, we're working with clients in shelter because we are working with clients that are coming in to shelter, but, we're, but there's other people that live there. So we have to understand what these things mean and we have to understand how to address them with possibly other clients in the shelter that are staying there at the time. Internalized phobias is experience of shame, guilt, self-hatred, and the reaction of one's own identity. So this would be somebody that is identifying to, as, a, um, as a member of the LGBT but is feeling shame and guilt, self-hatred um, for, for those feelings. <clears throat> This is just a little exercise that um, is, it's just kind of, op it's a little bit eye-opening, and the re I put it in here just to show that um, everything isn't just one way or the other. Um, you know, your, your identity, your orientation, your sex, your biological sex, they're all separate, and they're what is the component of what your expression is. And I think sometimes that's what we miss. So um, people may identify as, um, heterosexual, but maybe um, their identity to them is more on a masculine side or things like that. So we want to fit everybody into a box, and that's just not how the world works. So this is kind of an exercise for people to look at themselves and kind of figure out where they fit in their own mind, in their own mindset, um, and not what the world has put in front of us as male, female, um, masculine, feminine, um, gay, straight, you know, things like that. So it's, 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 a, it's a pretty cool exercise. Unfortunately, it didn't come out great on your slides, but it's very easy to look up and um, print out. It's available. It's readily available. <coughs> so domestic violence. We're going to talk a little bit about what is domestic violence. Well, domestic violence is about power and control. It's about taking taking any means necessary to get power and control over another person um, and using anything, physical violence, um, emotional violence, financial, sexual. So a lot of times we have a picture of domestic violence because of that word in there, but it's not always a physical act. It's very much emotional, psychological, financial. We see it in all forms. So what is physical? What would fall under physical? Well, a lot of stuff, according to the law, um, that would be inflicting or attempting to inflict um, pain or harm on another person. Um, so slapping, 
punching, pushing, spitting is a physical violence. It's phys- it's, it's, it falls under the physical violence. Choking, any use of a weapon, and any damage of personal property. So punching a wall, punching a car, breaking a car window, throwing someone's cell phone, breaking someone's cell phone. That all falls under physical abuse, a physical act. Emotional and psychological, using words and intimidation to gain control. So constant name calling, put downs, um, forced isolation, so meaning pulling people away from their family and friends, um, pulling people away from their jobs, their school, um, not allowing them to do things that they want to do that are important to them, forcing isolation, I'm sorry, Um, but also by making them do what you want them to do so that when they do maybe need to reach out or they're ready to reach out, they have no one because they've been isolated. They've been isolated and maybe they've cut their family off or their friends or their job or their work. Threats. So this would be directly to the victim, so a threat directed at the victim um, or directed at the victim's family, friends, pet. Um, We see that a lot, actually, unfortunately. A lot of times, if somebody has a pet, their abuser will abuse their pet um, because it's a spot that's going to hurt them. They're going to protect their animal, the person that's something that they love. Um, um, also, threats to harm themselves. So using, <coughs> putting their life's responsibility in someone's hand, saying, if you leave me, then I will hurt myself or I will kill myself. <clears throat> Sexual violence. Any contact without consent or exploitive or coercive contact. So inappropriate touch, rape, speaking in a sexual derogatory manner, any uses of weapons or objects, forced pregnancy or abortions or withholding contraceptives. When we're talking about sexual violence within a relationship, it's very real. There is such thing as marital rape You do not, obviously, hopefully it's obvious, but unfortunately it's not. You do not have to sleep or have sex with your significant other. (coughs) We see it all the time, unfortunately. Um, With clients, um, a lot of times it's just to kind of, uh, kind of just keep it, keep it, keep it calm so that they don't get them upset. Well, we'll just do this and then make, make that person happy and then everything will be okay tomorrow when we wake up. Um. But you still have a right to say no. You still don't have to do it. Um, It's very common in domestic violence. We see it all the time. Um, The forced pregnancies and then abortions, we see that too. Um, Not using contraceptives and then getting pregnant and then making somebody abort the pregnancy. So (coughs) very real stuff going on. Very scary for clients that are living through this on a daily basis. So financial is the one that I feel like we talk about the least, but it's actually pretty common um, using money to control somebody. So one, you know, main way would be like controlling joint money. Um, 
you know, not allowing access to that money, things like that. Um, but also w getting involved in their jobs so much that the person maybe loses their job, fired, gets fired because they're constantly getting personal phone calls, getting personal people visit, or, you know, causing um, disturbances at work that puts other people in danger or other clients, depending on what you're doing. Um, <clears throat> Um, not providing enough money. Um, I've had clients that have been put on an allowance. Um, I had a client that called the hotline one time for me that was on a $30 allowance, and she had three children and had to feed three children herself and her, um, well, not her husband, because um, he took care of himself, but she had $30. I mean, it's hard to feed a single person with $30. So um, that, is, that is financial abuse. That's, that's neglect. Um, not allowing somebody to use the vehicle to go to work or school or not allowing somebody to go have a job or to go to school to better themselves if they want to go to school or things like that. Or <clears throat> Sometimes we'll see it in um, teen relationships where you see, um, and maybe this is kind of a little different, but in the end, it kind of in the long term, it can end up being more financial, um, not wanting them to go to school, getting them to ditch class, miss class, or even at the college level. So then they're not doing well in school, they're failing their classes, and then they you know, can't graduate and things like that. So that's kind of how we see it in your age. So power control in the LGBT relationship, the abusive partner uses all the same tactics to gain power and control is in a heterosexual relationship, but we also see the relationships, the abusive partners, they like reinforce it with additional tactics and like societal factors. So we're gonna talk a little bit more about what I mean when I say that. So <coughs> I've included the power and control wheel. The power control wheel, we use it all the time and there's all different forms. This is actually the power and control wheel that was created for the LGBT community. But it is actually fairly similar to the regular power and control wheel. What it is is the middle is the power and control. <clears throat> and all around it, as you can see, are different tactics, different ways. So it talks about um, threats, um, intimidation, um, emotional abuse. It talks about economic abuse. It talks about children. Um, it talks about minimization, um, using minimizing, that's a big one. Um, also using privilege, <coughs> using privilege depending on, you know, who is in the relationship um, on, a, on, a, on a regular power and control wheel for the, like a heterosexual relationship, um, that's like using male privilege. Um, but this could be using privilege depending on what the partner does, you know, if somebody is making more money, um, whatever the case may be. This is a great tool. You'll see it if you, you know, ever do anything with domestic violence. You'll always see a wheel. It's used all the time. It's an important piece. We use it with clients. It's an educational piece that we use with clients all the time. It's a way to really bring understanding what they're going through, put a face on it, put a name on it. Because a lot of times when they're in those situations, they don't even realize, they can't identify isolation or intimidation. They might not be able to identify it like that, but when you start talking about it and you teach about it, they can actually really put themselves in there and realize that, yes, this has been going on in my relationship, and it's pretty extensive. So it's a great tool that we use, and that's why I included it. <clears throat> so when we talk about societal tactics that they would use, so outing a partner, 
sexual orientation or gender identity that may threaten to out the victim to their families or employers. So if somebody is not out in a relationship, you know, telling people, you know, how they identify or whatever, that is definitely a tactic we use. And it's very scary because if they're not ready, then it's not their story to tell. Telling a victim that there's no one there to help them because of their, their orientation, um, that there's not going to be services, there's not going to be things that help you, there's, people aren't going to understand, people aren't going to believe you. Um, using the fact that the victim is gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender as the reason for the abuse. Um, they deserve to be abused because you're, you're living this life. And I understand that that doesn't always play out in a relationship because if they're in a relationship, then they're both in a relationship, but it is still used. But also, sometimes when you have adult children or adult family members, because that also includes in domestic violence. So if you have um, an adult child that is identifies as a gay male and his father becomes abusive, that is domestic violence. If he's living at home with that family member, that's domestic violence and he's and if his father's beating him because he feels that he deserves that because of his life, um, because of who he is, that's kind of what that talks, that's relating to. <coughs> Saying abuse is mutual, even consensual, um, an expression of masculinity or some other desirable trait, um, that is used a lot. Um, manipulation with support resources such as friends, families, generating sympathy and trust. This turns um, limits support to the victim and creates more isolation. I don't know what my problem is. I'm sorry, I have a cold, so like I sound stuffy and I can't get words out. So I apologize. Um, so what we see there a lot is, um, you know, abusers on any any relationship, any relationship, any way an abuser is very manipulative. That's just something that they use. They use, uh, they use that. So a lot of times we'll see that with family and friends and kind of getting that, that perception that they, they don't, that's not happening. They're just dealing with stuff. They're just dealing with stuff. They're making this up. So generating stuff like telling un things that aren't true to other people to generate their sympathy for them that, oh my gosh, I can't believe you have to put up with all this. I can't believe that that, 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 that person's doing that and kind of turning the tables on somebody. <clears throat> so I did a little comparison. There's tons of similarities between um, what we would say same-sex couples and um, straight couples or heterosexual couples, um, the pattern is the same. So in domestic violence, there's a pattern of abuse. Um, there's a cycle of violence is what we call it. Um, the cycle is there's a tension phase um, and that it kind of goes to the, the event. So that event can be physical, financial, emotional. It can last a five minutes it can last a week whatever that is and then there's going to be that what they call like the honeymoon so that's going to be where um, we see the apologies coming we're going to get counseling things are going to get better things are going to so th that pattern is the same in any 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 type of domestic violence relationship um, whether it is a same-sex couple whether it's a heterosexual couple whether it's an adult child and a, um, a parent or a parent and an adult child abusing their parent, um, teen dating violence, all the, that cycle remains the same. Um, a lot of times there is a history of abuse in the families. That's, that's just something that is very common. It's a learned behavior. 
which definitely means it can be unlearned. Um, uh, most of the time, we see a lot of more psychological abuse. That's going to be the most common form of abuse in any relationship again. Um, physical and sexual abuse usually co-occur. So if there's physical violence, there's usually sexual violence. And if there's sexual violence, well, then there is physical because sexual violence falls under both. That is physical. That is a physical act. Um, and the other similarity is no one's exempt. Domestic violence doesn't have boundaries. It happens in every walk of life. Doesn't matter how much education you have. It doesn't matter how much money you make. Doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. Doesn't matter what your parents do. It happens all around. We see it in different forms and in different ways, but it happens everywhere. And again, sexual orientation is not an exempt from that either. It happens in um, same-sex relationships. So. Um, those are kind of the similarities. So the differences, so <clears throat> using the outing as a way to abuse, that's a big one. That's a big thing that we see, especially in the younger community. And I shouldn't actually even say that because that's not true either. I mean, it happens in the older community, but we do see a lot more in the younger when people are just uh, realizing who they are and coming out and, and figuring out what they want and, and what they, who they are. I mean, adolescence is hard. And, you know, that goes on now until they say, like, 25, we're still kind of experiencing stuff and identity crisis and things like that. Um, so, you know, people are dealing with a lot at that time, a lot. So if you're in a relationship and, you know, so that gets used a lot. Um, they're, they're more reluctant to report the abuse to legal authorities um, because the fear of not being believed, the fear of being treated differently. Um, victims are more reluctant to seek out help um, because of their sexual orientation. Um, they're more likely to fight back. Um, and then what we see with this is sometimes it leads law enforcement to not being able to decipher um, where the actual history of the power and control is because, and we see this in, in same-sex relationships too. Usually when we start seeing this in a, in a, in a same-sex, or not, I'm sorry, not same-sex, what we usually see this in a heterosexual relationship is if they've kind of been in it for a long time and then they kind of fight back and they, you know, like build up, but, and then, but it's usually really a lot easier to figure out where the power control has lied in the history. Um, and sometimes the police officers struggle. And that's lack of education, lack of education on the um, law enforcement. You know, we try to get it in law enforcement, and some, some towns are wonderful. They want us. They'll, they'll, they'll let us come in. They'll let us educate. And then you have others that don't think they need it, and they're doing just fine. So it's really an education piece. The more we can get into the police departments, the judges, the everybody, and educate, the better people are going to get served and get what they need out of, of this. Um, and children is, are, are a big threat that are used in same-sex relationships. Um, and I will talk a little bit more about that. Um, so the reason that I'm really here. So why is this so important? Well, because there's a lot of barriers when you're identifying as um, somewhere in the LGBT community because the services are lacking. We don't have shelter for men. We have a women's shelter. Um, 
the fear of being outed, um, but not just alone by the abuser, but also if you seek services now, you know, we ask our, you know, our intakes are pretty intense and it's not, we don't share that information, but it's still pretty intense for somebody to have to go through. Um, so if they're not, if they're not comfortable, um, if they're not out yet or whatever the case may be, um, it could be very intense to go through that process. Um, the fear of losing their job, the fear of losing their children. So if one, one you know, parent is the legal parent and the other one's not, you know, using, losing the child. Um, things are a little different in Illinois now that we have same-sex marriage, but, um, you know, that's not, it's not foolproof. Um, fear of losing family and friends um, if they find out about it. Um, and then being discriminated further by the system. So there's a lot of stigma that goes along with, you know, every, you hear LGBT, you hear domestic violence. So on both ends, there's, there's huge stigmas. Um, so another, so more barriers that kind of go to that is like disclosure. So if somebody is identifying as an, someone, you know, somewhere on that LGBT, how many times are they going to have to come out? And how many times are they going to have to say, who their abuser is or what or how they identify, things like that. And that's scary to them. How many times are they going to have to repeat that? Um, are they going to be isolated from family that maybe they haven't told? Or are they going to be isolated from their community? Um, and then again, this kind of goes into the biases of the LGBT community. So the fear of reinforcing ideas that the LGBTs are, are inferior group of people and they're unhealthy relationships. So if you go and you're in this community and you know you guys have you guys are this great power couple in your community and all of a sudden you're going to come out and you're going to say I've been I'm not safe I've been abused now you also have this fear of your community looking down on you because now you just made us look bad and now it's one more strike against us two steps back so I mean it's not fair but that is definitely a reality um, social service agents, will they, service agencies, will they believe me? Will they have services to serve me? Is it even worth my time to call these places? Because are they just going to tell me there's no help? Um, will I have to educate people as I'm asking for services? Am I going to have to educate the, the social worker, the caseworkers, the other clients? That's a challenge too. I mean, you don't want to have to, you want to, you want to receive the services and get the help you need, not have to educate everybody else in the process. Um, and then legal systems, how are the courts going to treat me? How are the police going to treat me? How are they going to react to this when they find out that it's a same sex relationship? So what do we do at Constance Morris to, to help this the best of our ability? Well, we try to use gender neutral languages when speaking on the hotline or to victims for two reasons. Because we don't know who their abuser is. We have no idea when somebody calls the hotline who their abuser is and who their abuser identifies. And we have no idea who's on the other line of that phone. No clue. So we have to be very respectful to those people, to, to what their needs are. Um, we try to do gender neutral language on forms, too, as they're filling paperwork out. Um, when we do an intake, we ask how somebody identifies. The re only requirement to stay in shelter is you do have to identify as a female. So if you identify as a female, you can come to shelter. Um, we try to collaborate with other agencies, so agencies that offer different services that maybe we don't. We try to do that. 
Unfortunately, there's not a ton, but we do try to collaborate as much as possible. Um, we try to provide educational materials that include stuff on the LGBT community, but also makes them feel that they can seek services from us, that they're comfortable. We try to, to put that on there in some way, shape, or form. Um, and we also try to be aware of laws and the rights. What are people's rights and what are the laws? Where do the laws stand? Because not everyone knows where the law stands. Not everyone follows that stuff. Um, you know, we live in Illinois. Um, you know, we have gay marriage is, is, is legal, but where does that stand with children? How does that work? We need to know all that stuff. We need to be aware of that stuff so that when we have a client that comes in or a client that comes to our legal advocate, they can help them to the best of their ability. And if we don't have the answer, we're going to do everything to find out so that we know that they're getting the services that they need and that they deserve. <coughs> so what can you do as a community? Well, Becoming educated about domestic violence is a big thing. So just understanding what it is. Domestic violence is a hard thing for people to talk about, but when they do, there's a lot of trust with that person that they're talking about. So if somebody is disclosing domestic violence to you, you really need to listen and you need to believe them and you need to tell them that you understand or maybe not even that you understand, that you, you, you hear what they're saying and there is help. And we, we need to not judge those people. You know, our, our initial reaction when we, when we love somebody or care about somebody is to say, get out, get out now. And yes, believe me, in, the, in my gut, there's a lot of times I want to say that too, but that's not always the answer that they want to hear or that they need to hear at that point. We want to make sure they're safe. What can we do to make you safe? We don't want to minimize the danger by any means. We want to let them know this is dangerous. This could lead down a really, really ugly path. What can we do to keep you safe, to keep your family safe? What can we do? Can, what, what, what means can we take? Making sure that you know about services in the area and have numbers available. And there is stuff in the back table there that has information about all that stuff, about our services. Um, Respect the, 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 the victim. They know their abuser best. So when we work with a client, it's about empowerment. We want to empower our clients. We want them to be able to make the decisions, but we also have to trust that they know their abuser. They know what their abuser is capable of. We don't. So if they tell us that they're in real danger, and maybe in our minds from what we know and what we've learned, we don't think the danger is as big or a big deal, or maybe they've never even had any physical violence, they know their abuser. If, they're, if they tell us that, then we're going to help them from that point. Or if they're in shelter and they're ready to go home, we're going to safety plan with them, and we're not going to judge them. We're going to help them. We're going to give them as many resources as we can, and we're going to help them as much as we can, but we're not going to judge them. <clears throat> uh, educating yourself on available resources. Um, asking people if somebody is identified, what their gender pronouns, what their preferred ones are, how they would prefer to be um, addressed. And advocate, 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 advocate whenever you can. Stuff like this is awesome. It's great to see people in this room and you see here. Both these subjects are not easy ones, but they're ones we talk about, and especially DV. Nobody likes to talk about domestic violence. Nobody likes to, you know, hear about it. It's not fun. I can't make it pretty. I can't make it a fun subject. It's just not. 
but it is real and it happens all the time and it's happening at every age. And teen dating violence, the statistic is one in three teen girls will experience some sort of violence in their lifetime. So that's a huge number. <clears throat> and here's a list of some resources, um, some hotlines, some um, Center on Halstead and Howard Brown. Those are, those are agencies that we try to partner with when we can't service somebody for their needs. Those are the ones that we kind of reach out to. This is just a quote because I like quotes. Does anyone have any questions? Please ask. I would love to answer all your questions. And if you have questions, raise your hand so I can come to you with the microphone just to make it scarier. <laughs> to make it even more intimidating, let's talk on the microphone. No, seriously. <laughs> no questions? I would mention like just Like I for covered everything? <laughs> brilliant. I would just mention um, the uh, Moraine Valley's Counseling Center is a great place to go Absolutely. to on our campus if people want to talk. And if they're and they're with wonderful. Yeah. I've worked with them. They they're very big advocates. You have counselors there that have worked in domestic violence, so they are very well versed in it. So you have a great resource right here at your school. Um, what made you start working with clients about like domestic violence? Oh, you know, it's just something that's always been a passion of mine. I. Um, I actually went to school later, back to school. I went to community college right out of high school, but didn't finish, ended up going to beauty school, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I decided to go back in my 30s. And um, I don't know, I just, you know, um, human trafficking was something that I followed a lot and did a lot of research on. Um, unfortunately, our resources are like non-existent for victims of human trafficking so we end up servicing them or sexual assault programs end up servicing them at this point we have a few agencies in chicago but not a ton um so that's kind of what pushed me to there and then i did my internship in domestic violence and um i just love working with the clients um they're great people they you know they just need to be empowered. They've been in a relationship and somebody's been putting them down and telling them they are not capable, um, that they can't, do, they can't do anything, and that's just not true. Um, but really working with somebody and building them back up and watching that process is pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. It's scary sometimes too, because they do go home. The statistic is seven to nine times before they leave permanently. So that's a large number. So statistically, every client that comes through our door is probably going to go back. So I have a question. You, sure. you mentioned at the beginning that um, one in four women um, would deal with domestic violence, mm -hmm. one in seven men. So if you haven't seen it or dealt with it, it kind of feels like at first, I think, something that happens to other people, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think about myself when I was in mm. college and... But when you see it, it's surprising it, it, because you think it happens to other people, but the stats say it's not that uncommon. So here's the question is, if you have a suspicion, you, know, you see things going on, um, what approaches could we take with a friend or family member um, to try to open up that conversation when we're not used to doing that and it could be a difficult first step? Definitely. It's uncomfortable. We never want to accuse somebody of being in a domestic violence situation. Um, I would ask, are they safe? Are they happy in their relationship? What's going on? If you see something specific like 
um, a friend that's constantly checking cell phone, like, you know, and you know it's the boyfriend or girlfriend that's like constantly texting or whatever, ask them about it and say like, hey, you know, we're together. Like what, you know, what's the big deal? Or, you know, kind of bring it up more casually. Um, but again, don't minimize it. Like, let look at that, like say like, you know, that's kind of serious. Like we've been, we've been together a half hour and your phone has gone off 10 times. Like it's quite a bit an amount of time, you know? Um, and, you know, just let them know because sometimes when you just open that door a little bit like that, then maybe the next time they will feel more comfortable to come to you. It might take a while. It might take a couple years. It might take a month. It might take another day. Um, but at least they know that you're there and you're understanding and hopefully you weren't judging them or things like that. So I think that talking about it is huge. Um, and then if they are receptive, you know, giving them the information, the resources that are available. Um, we have some, I have some great, like, they're hotline cards. They're like business card size. They're back there. Um, and they're great to give people that are in a situation. Um, I have pamphlets back there, and they're great too. But the thing about a pamphlet is it's big. So you can't, I mean, if somebody's really in danger, I would not recommend giving them a pamphlet or a brochure. There's bookmarks. Those are nice too because they can put them in their books. But I don't know if really anyone reads books anymore. But I do. But, um, you know, the cards are great because they can put them in their shoe, they can put them in their pocket, they can put them in their purse. So take some with you and, you know, have them. The hotline, like you said, is 24 hours. There's always somebody there to talk to. And we do service LGBT community on a limit. I, I will say on a limited basis because we don't have a men's shelter. So we have to refer that out. Um, but they, we can receive counseling again on a limited basis because they can't attend group counseling, they'd have to go to individual. And we recommend group counseling for domestic violence. So I guess what would happen is if we had enough men that we could start a group, but at this point we don't. So right now, men can receive counseling, individual counseling. Girls, um, somebody who identifies as um, a lesbian or a female bisexual um, can receive services but what comes into play then is that we have to be really careful about the next few calls the next couple days because I have had that happen in my experience. Um, we don't want to let the abuser in also either. So we have to be careful um, about how that goes. But again, then that comes into play of like we were talking about earlier, like are, is this person going to have to explain everything to everyone, educate everyone in shelter? Is everyone in shelter going to accept them? Things like that. Any other questions? Other questions? Okay, how about a round of applause uh, for Jennifer? Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer, for your time. This sure. is really excellent. Help yourself to the resources. Um, I did include this. It's a resource guide for programs for the youth, um, LGBT um, in Chicagoland area. They're not all domestic violence specific. Um, but it is a great list, so help yourself to it. All right, thank you, and thank you all for coming.